Hey there, and welcome to the Confident Woman Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Brooks. Join me as I sit down and chat with co-hosts, friends, and carefully curated guests and talk about all the things that empower you to become your best and most confident self. So let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of the Confident Woman Podcast. Today we have with us Erica Mather. Erica is a body image expert, yoga therapist, and the author of Your Body, Your Best Friend, and the confidence crushing pursuit of unrealistic beauty standards and embrace your true power. Erica teaches public and private yoga classes and runs online body image and mentorship programs. So we're going to have an incredible conversation. And for those who have read my book, Chasing Perfection, and we got a lot to talk about when we're going to dive deep into body image. So welcome, Erica. Thank you so much, Rachel. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Yes, I'm excited. So I know we were just chatting a few moments before we hit record and just talking about, you know, really what that means. Like, you know, when we talk about body image and there's body positivity and all the body stuff that's out there in this, you know, in the space that we're really bringing awareness to. I would love to hear more about your book, your story, and really how you got into this. Yeah, well, the book is a bit autobiographical and also calling the lessons that I learned through my own life to help other people feel better about their bodies, to feel better about their bodies, to feel better in their bodies, which I think are two different things. Like you can feel the abstraction, like, I feel great about my body, but I don't feel good in it. You know, we experience particularly as who are active, maybe you have an injury or maybe you're sick, right? So these two things are different. How you feel about it, how you feel in it are are definitely not always on the same page. So the book is a bit autobiographical, a bit tracing an arc of discovery of my own and gleaning some best practices, I think, but it also is philosophical because it's a book about perspective and perspective, meaning like, what is it like to be alive? What is it like to be a human? And so there's a lot of it that's philosophical because I think yoga is like one of the oldest documented studies of human psychology. And by yoga, I'm saying sort of like yoga writ large, meaning how Buddhism and yoga and Taoism and those practices from the South Southeastern Asian continent sort of develop together. There's a lot of them bumping up uh, on one, one another about what does it mean to be alive and why does everybody suffer so much? So there's also a philosophy about why is it that humans always are so unhappy <laughs> and specifically applying that philosophy about consciousness and perspective and awareness to our experience of having a body. And that's basically what the book is about. And um, yes, that's what the book is about. Hard stop. <laughs> I love it because it really does bring in that element of like, we are beyond our physical bodies. There's more to us than just what you see in, our, in the reflection of a mirror or looking down at the skin on our bodies. Like we're, there's so much more. And I think that we live in this, this place where we're very external driven, where it's really internal. It's, it's the journey internally. And this body is just the vehicle that gets us to wherever we need to go, right? It's the, the vessel that we live in. So I'm curious to know more about what you were just sharing with like 
you know, yoga and Taoism and Buddhism and, and just kind of just the different concepts, because somebody who may be listening might not really understand what all that means. So I'd love to hear in your own words, like kind of educate our, our listeners a little bit further on what the philosophies are, how that came about and really your draw to it, like how you got into that. Yeah. So I'm pointing to them all and I'm not an expert in sort of the history of them or anything like that. I'm sort of an armchair watcher, let's say, you know, an armchair observer of, of those sort of very high level historical conversations. My own experience was that I came to yoga first. So I came to yoga first. Well, that's not actually true. Actually, my, one, my boyfriend gave me my first book on personal discovery and transformation. And it actually it was a book on Buddhism by a, an author whose name is Pema Chodron. And the book is called The Wisdom of No Escape. So actually, no, that was my, my first exposure was to Buddhism. Then I have adult onset migraine headaches, and that is what brought me to yoga. And so it was Buddhism and then yoga. And then what happened is that at yoga, I started to have an experience from the inside, which is basically what you're talking about. It's like, we're more than a body. We're not just a body. Uh, All of our, our lives and our worlds are so externally driven, but this is about the inside out. But unless you're actually taught how to relate the experience, the inside out experience, it can be very difficult to handle. Some people have a lot of feelings and so they go outside in order to handle their feelings. Some people don't know what to do with their feelings. So they act out a lot. So my point is, is that I think we're all having an inside out, meaning from the inside to the outside experience all the time, but how you make sense of it, how you handle yourself. I think is accomplished well through training. For me, yoga provided an experience of the body from the inside out, meaning how do I feel? What is what is my experience of my body from within as opposed from the outside in, meaning what does it look like? How much does it weigh? How useful is it to other people? Is it pretty? What can it do? Even what can it do can be kind of like an outside in sort of assessment. So yoga is where I learned to start to have a relationship with the body from the inside out. And that complicates everything. It complicates everything that, you know, I was even thinking about it today. It's like the difference between a perception of myself from the inside. And then if I go and I look at my body, I'm like, well, that's very uncomplicated. Right. But I know from the inside that my experience of this body is very complicated. Like someone might look at my body and just be like, well, she seems kind of middle aged and maybe a little bit overweight. You know, <laughs> sort of depends. Like those are other people's judgments. Right. But from the inside, I'm like, wow, I really felt something new in my deep in my core today. And I was able to have a d- different experience of breathing in and breathing out than I've ever had before. And wow, my wheel last night was deeper and more easily executed than ever before. But does my body look that different? No. Mm-hmm. And this is very perplexing, right? Because if you go about having a, a relationship with your body from the inside out, it doesn't necessarily alter what you look like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is very complicated, right? Because a lot of us are motivated to have a relationship with our body in order to alter what it looks like. 
and therefore to achieve status and approval and accolades and rewards, right? So that was the yoga piece, right? It's just creating this relationship with an experience of being alive that has no real outcome except just having an experience. That's it. Buddhism has more to do with the philosophy of suffering and has lots of things to say about it. Taoism, actually, I really learned about mostly from my business coach, Rachel, actually. So interestingly, like, yeah, my, my business coach is a, is a Taoist. And so I learned a lot about non-attachment, about um, what, is the, what are the energies of the universe that are in play around money, actually, from, from him. I started to see, because I learned about Taoism from him, how these worlds, Taoism, Buddhism, yoga, how they really kind of are all talking about the same thing, but from different perspectives. So if anybody's wondering more about Taoism, it is anchored onto physical practices like Qigong, Tai Chi, Kung Fu. They usually go hand in Taoism is adjacent to um, Confucianism. Confucianism was done away with during the um, regime change of Mao Zedong. This is my very armchair understanding of the history of it. If anybody wants to correct me, I'm welcome to being corrected. And if anybody wants to do more research, there's the little breadcrumbs. Go research away. Yes. I love that you just shared all that because it, it's so true when we go into the, the philosophies and our belief system behind, you know, life in general. And, and that's kind of where I was touching upon, like our body, when we can, you know, differentiate between the two. And I, and I always go back to one of my favorite, favorite quotes is that we are spiritual beings living a human existence. And so that can de- detaches the physical body from who we are, because this is just kind of a rented vehicle while we're here. And so in my own journey, that was something I really had to come to terms with because I was that person who was chasing perfection and it measured by external rewards, accomplishments, successes, all those things. And I'm a former fitness competitor. So using my body as a measuring tool for self-worth and validation that if it looked the part, therefore some random stranger on a panel of judges would tell me that I was good enough. And therefore I can be like, okay, cool. Thank you. Finally, somebody noticed. Now I can go about my merry way. And it was just this distorted warp sense of like, honestly, I don't even have the word for it, but I had to do a lot of unraveling to get there and figure out where did those beliefs come from? Where did that philosophy come from? What was that mine? Did I inherit it? And there was a lot of just self discovery and self-awareness aspect of it that brought me through. And now I realize like, you know, my body, I, I don't, the struggles that I struggled with it from body dysmorphia, eating disorders, disordered eating, all that stuff. It feels like a lifetime ago. I don't have those anymore because like what you were saying, the detachment of, of self from the body. And so when we bring in Buddhism, from the suffering, when I was so focused on self, I was just repeating that pattern of suffering. And so I had to learn to heal and let go. And yoga actually was one of the things that did help me in my letting go journey. So being in the fitness space, lifting heavy weights, really conditioning my body to build, like build and sculpt out muscularly 
the shape and definition, symmetry, all the things that they look for in bodybuilding. And to counteract the heaviness, I would use yin yoga. And in my yin yoga practice was that surrendering to discomfort. And that's where a lot of that self-actualization came from, where I realized, okay, in these uncomfortable moments, I was able to recognize that this is just the body easing in, but my mind was somewhere else and having that, that connection and just going through and recognizing, like, I feel like I found myself on the mat because the body was doing something else, but my mind was somewhere else. And it became a whole conversation and looking at myself from a different perspective, almost like in class, I could look above my body and see what it was doing. It's hard to explain to those who haven't experienced it. And I know that you most likely have. So you kind of get it. And it was just a really cool transformation because that was part of the letting go and just surrendering to what is. And so in that surrendering is where self-discovery really came in because there was no attachment. So I don't know. That was pretty cool experience that I got to witness on my own end. And I shared it in my book as well, because, you know, yoga, it was the yin to my yang kind of thing. Like my strength training was go hard, masculine energy, drive, you know, push, perform, repeat as a perfectionist. We're really great at that. And then it was just the softer surrendering, being present and aware. And I was like, I don't even know what that is. And that's where that journey led me. And I'm so grateful for it. So I know that you can relate to it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm so glad that you had that. I mean, one of the real tragedies I think about perfectionism is that it is never satisfied. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's always that that chase or, or desire for more. And then you realize that once you kind of overcome one lesson, it'll just repeat itself in a different format. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I I feel like perfectionism also is a hungry animal that is never satisfied. And so you just have to keep going. It's actually, I think why perfectionism and certain kinds of addiction go hand in hand is because perfectionism is a sort of addiction. It's like you're only as good yes. as your most recent accomplishment. You're only as good as your most recent hit, which is great in many ways if you're like seeking some sort of discipline, but to to have the the accomplishments be more satisfying and not lose their nutritional value, you know, moments later or a day later. So yeah, I have heard from many, many people and I think that it's pretty well documented that Yoga has some sort of some sort of mind-altering attributes that allow you to have a different perspective of yourself. And um, Yin Yoga, I think, is particularly well suited to weightlifting and also for body dysmorphia issues because there there is no achievement to be had in any of those shapes in Yin Yoga. There is. It's not like my back bend is deeper than your back bend. So it's just like you're literally just having an experience and there is no asana accomplishment. There's just stay and let go. That's it. Yeah, exactly. Stay and let go. So I wanna I wanna circle back though to something that you said, which is which is a little bit of a of a uh, a bone I want to pick with the world. Let's do it. It is is the world. (laughs) And it is it is this idea that our bodies are um, a vehicle 
and I, I know that you're using the word vehicle kind of organically, mm-hmm. but there is this very well entrenched idea in our culture that a body is a machine. Yes. And the body is not a machine. The body is an organic being that is in fact having its own experience, which I think is part of what's very confusing to us is because we are animals that can see ourselves and perceive ourselves and understand, oh, that's me, but it's kind of not you all at the same time because that that animal is having its own experience. It has its own desires. It has its own um, experiences. It has its own feelings. So I think that this is one of the existential quandaries. You're a spiritual being in a, in a human body, but it's, it's more than that. You were a human spirit in a human animal. Mm. And that's a little, I feel more accurate actually than a spiritual being in a human body. No, because we are animals. We are animals. (laughs) And I think that, that as long as we understand that, that the body itself is an animal and kind of needs to be treated in that way, not like it's going to be disciplined through violence, which we know doesn't work, but that it is going to be um, encouraged through gentleness and steady and secure attachments, you know, that I think we're all going to have better outcomes. Also with regards to body image and perfectionism, because perfectionism, I think, really functions on this idea that you are something that can be tailored, sculptured, trimmed, tucked, starved, kicked, and it'll be fine. Yep. Yep. Did all so, that. And it didn't work out. <laughs> no, it never works out. It never works out. So I really want to reframe this idea of the body as a machine or the body as a car. I also feel like there's a lot of, I think with the recent revelations about obesity and these, these um, like Ozempic and the, the diabetes medication, that it's starting to be understood more clearly that not all bodies metabolize calories the same way. And I have often feared that this sort of idea that your body is a machine encourages the idea that all cars kind of metabolize gasoline pretty much the same way. Some of them are more efficient. Some of them are less efficient, right? But basically combustion is combustion, (laughs) right? And I fear that sometimes the body as a machine encourages folks to think that all bodies metabolize calories exactly the same way, which, which isn't true. And I think that you probably as a bodybuilder knew like there were some hacks, right? If I eat this way and I do that, this is what the outcome will be. But it might not work the same for you as a woman as it does for a man, which is also one of these real big lies I think that we're dealing with is that all bodies are machines and male machines and female machines or machines with ovaries and machines with testicles, whatever you want to say, are like, the same and they are not they're just not so anyway 
Now I'm off my soapbox. Would you like to say something? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm actually agreeing with you on there. And, and, you know, for me, I just say like a vehicle because it's, it's a way to transport me to carry out my purpose and my mission. And, and yes, I've heard it, it you know, classified as a machine. And I was just like, no, because we're not machines. Machines don't require rest. They don't, re- you know, they are just built to go, go, go. Well, how does that work out? It leads to burnout, exhaustion, fatigue. Your, your body physically feels it. And then it seeps into, you know, your other components, your mental, your emotional, and just physically, you're just beaten and run down. And even if you did use that analogy, it's like, okay, great. At that point, if it was a machine, you'd have to take it into a mechanic. Well, it's not relatable. And so that when I was hearing, you know, several years back, oh yeah, it's a machine, feed the machine, feed. And I'm like, but I'm not a machine. And that's when even taking in my nutrition from back in the day when I was competing, like you said, there's no cookie cutter diet or nutrition that you can just say, okay, you're five foot, you're six foot, you're a male, you're a female, here you go, eat up. Here's the one size fits all. And it's like, that's not how we are. And with cars, yeah, they take gas. So it's kind of like the same thing, but yet you said you combust, the combustion is different and metabolizes different and how it processes is different. And that's something we have to look at from a body that is completely unique and different from you. My body is different from, for me to you, to the next person. And that's something that is the, I think the relationship and the journey to really know yourself from the inside out. And that's where the one size fits all is just, to me, it's BS. And it's recognizing that what works for me is not going to translate comparable to yours, your journey. So identifying who you are, what works for you, knowing you from the inside out. And that's, I think, is the journey of self, self-discovery, self right? Getting to build this relationship and knowing and understanding you from the inside. So like, like you were saying, you know, if you get this kind of like pain in your stomach, but externally, nobody sees that. So that's your kind of doctoring that you have to figure that out. What is happening inside? How are you feeling? What What is this making you feel from a pain point, a discomfort? And so recognizing that as well. And so I think overall, just being a, an advocate for your shell, if you will, <laughs> not, not, a, not a machine, but the outer being so that it can carry your insides to wherever the destination is. And that's your journey of self-discovery. I, well, no, I, know, I, I, <laughs> I know I knew you were. And that's why I was like, but, but even when we say the, I, that's why I preface it by saying, I don't think this is what you meant, but Correct. I want to really make sure that no one else is hearing vehicle and they're seeing a car in their head or, you know, a train or something. Actually. I mean, do you, do you have a favorite animal that you think of yourself as when you I would, if anything, I mean, I've always been a cat person. Like I've been, cats are my, my, my babies. I don't have children. I have cats, but, um, I've always looked at them as just so gentle, but yet they, they, there's that both sides It's duality, right? When an animal, it's like, you can be soft and gentle, but you can be aggressive and, and, you know, take command. And so I've recognized those are attributes that I also have as well. Like, and then when we look at from an energetic perspective, you have your, your masculine, your feminine energy, right? So we need both. We have to complement both. And I think if we live in that mindset of machine, then it's just masculine drive, 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 drive. And then us being female as well, it's like, we're not giving space or attention to our feminine energy, which is also a, a you know, component to the makeup of who we are. 
And so recognizing that I wasn't even aware of it back then. I was just built to drive. And that's when I realized I was driving head on with no nothing inside. I was just like a single passenger vehicle going full speed and watching this, this brick wall come closer and closer and closer. And I was like, well, hold on, something's got to change. And that's when I really hit kind of my, my physical rock bottom and had to really dive deep into how I even got here with this relationship to my body that why I thought, you know, bodybuilding or extremes or any of that were even on my, on my radar, like why? And so that was something I really had to uncover. And here you are. Here I am. You look back and you don't even recognize that person. I look back and I feel sadness for, for the girl who didn't know. But I look at myself not from like a place of pity or, or poor thing. Like, you know, it was about she didn't know. And now that she does, she can do better about it. She can educate others. She can, she can talk openly about her struggles and not feel shame and guilt because we've all gone through some hardships and, and hard shit. And, you know, we come through it. And I think as we come through it, it's, um, it's part of our diligence to give back to others who are also in that form of suffering because they didn't know, or maybe they do, but they're so close to their pain and suffering that they can't see beyond it. So how about, how about yourself with, with your relationship with your body? Is there kind of a pivotal moment that you were kind of reclaim that power, I guess. And it was just, okay, this is where I am. Well, I have a, I have a sports background, but I wasn't bodybuilding is a very specific thing, right? And it's focused a lot on aesthetics. And Mm -hmm. so you were, you were in a world that is probably like, you know, maybe like ballet adjacent in terms of aesthetics and like, so my athletic background wasn't anything like that. I was a competitive swimmer. And then I rode, I pulled an oar in a boat for a while in college. I think that my story is a little bit more classical, kind of like just being wrapped up in diet culture and that those sort of aesthetics. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when I said that, you know, someone might look at me and see someone who's middle-aged, maybe a little overweight, uh, you know, I was, it was a little tongue-in-cheek because I understand that those sorts of things are, are like eye of the beholder just to put things in perspective for your, for your listeners. I'm about five, nine. I have a very, very feminine body. Like my personality and my body have been at odds for a long time. You know, I have like an hour, hourglass shaped figure. I have big boobs. I have a big butt. I've got lots of luxurious, luxurious hair that, you know, one of my friends was like, if you're so at odds, why didn't you just cut it off? And I was like, I, you know, I don't know. I think that would have been kneeling too much to like this being at odds. But anyway, I was, I was, it was a little tongue in cheek because what I realize now look back and right. This is all, all of these stories, as I said at the beginning, are stories of perception, right? The girl who you look back and wish you ha- that girl had had different tools might've had tools, but didn't have perception. Right. And so some of what we perceive and are able to perceive is only available to us as we travel forward through time. That's it. Right. So, you know, looking back, I can see that people were reacting to me because my body is kind of just innately kind of sexy. (laughs) But I was like, 
this is uncomfortable. You know, I don't like this attention, but I also kind of, there wasn't really, there weren't role models for my kind of body. Now we got Kardashian. I mean, if that's a role model, you know, like we, I know grimace, but we do have a lot more role models, so to speak, that are accepted as beautiful in our culture. So I didn't like my body. I didn't have this perception, right? Because I was young also. And so I just decided to starve myself, right? Because that was the easiest answer. Something's wrong. Yep. We stop eating, you know, so, or eat weird or what, whatever it is. Sometimes it's just, just like, really, that's what we're eating today. Okay. But as you, as you know, when, well, I don't know if you, I'm assuming, you know, but I don't know if your if your listeners know that dieting is kind of a, it's not kind of, it is an indicator of future weight gain. So when you start dieting, you are beginning to put yourself on this merry-go-round, whatever analogy you want to use here. So my aha moment was really when I gained weight that I found unacceptable. And I remembered kind of like complaining about it to one of my friends, like, ah, I've gained a lot of weight. She was like, where? And that, you know, I could have been like, well, it's all in my boobs, obviously, you know, (laughs) but that reaction from someone who I knew loved me was very healing in a way. Now, maybe your listeners are listening to this and like, don't hear like where being the loving answer, but it was kind of like what I heard in her where was like, I see you. That's what I heard. I see you as a complete being. And I'm not looking at your body in this aesthetic way and deciding whether you're a good friend or not a good friend based on whether you weigh a lot or a little. That's what I heard in her wear. And so I kind of like thought about this. Well, I was like, well, I could start starving myself again and up my exercise regime and try to lose this 20 pounds or whatever. And then I was just like, uh, or maybe not. <laughs> I like that. You're like, how about not? not? Or how about not? Because what I saw was like, this is a binary. And the thing of the binary is it, it erases the realities of being alive and being human, which is non-binary. It's interesting, you know, it's like I'm using words that's now like pointing towards gendered things, right? But, but the gendered things are also indicative of kind of like a human way of thinking about things. It's this or that. It's hot. It's cold. It's fat. It's thin. It's black. It's white. It's up. It's down. And I saw like it was either diet or not diet, right? And I knew that the diet was just going to continue this cycle of misery. And I didn't really know what was down this other road of just not. But I knew what was down that road of doing it was just misery. And that's why I was like, how about not? 
Why don't I sit in the not doing that and find out what happens? Could I grow accustomed to the way that my body looks and be okay with it? Could I focus my attention more on things that are sustainable and enduring, like being a good friend or improving my teaching and making sure that my teaching isn't anchored on the fact that I'm thin and young and white and, you know, all these things. Like, could I, could I make this fitness life too a little bit more sustainable? Because I'll bet, I bet in your world, there, there are age categories, but there, I bet there aren't that many 60-year-old bodybuilders, right? Bodybuilding is probably for young people, right? Yeah. And I, by the time, like I say, I'm a, I'm a former competitor. I haven't competed in over five years, but even then I was considered in the masters and I was like, what? And, um, I wouldn't say like an up and coming cause it's been around for some time, especially in the bikini division. But what I'm seeing is that there are a lot of younger females going into that division. And when I look back at my former self, when I first got started, it was because I was trying to outrun this, this relationship with myself. I did not like this body. It had been used, abused, sexually, verbally, physically, emotionally, all the stuff. And I felt that I was like damaged goods. And I thought that if I could fix this in some capacity, whether it was through extreme dieting and, and fitness, and this is prior to me actually competing because I had a long battle with this and actually competing, ironically, when I did it the, the right way, actually helped save me in that, that relationship and rebuild my relationship with food and nutrition and, and exercise. But when I was turning to extremes because I wanted to figure out a way to control and manipulate the body that I felt was no longer mine. And that was this relationship that I had to rebuild this concept of loving and accepting what was so that I can have something future for my own and build this on my own terms and my own v vision and in agreement with this body. And so that is where, like you say, five years ago, actually it was longer. It was in 2015 when I took the stage again and it was a completely different person. It wasn't somebody who felt broken and damaged, used and abused. In that time frame, from first competition to, to second competition, then further on out, that's where the loving relationship came from. And now I turn, I use fitness now as a way to show respect, honor, discipline, and, and just love to my body because it does need to be conditioned. It does need to be taken care of. And that was something that I turned this, the self-loathing into self-loving and has now been the backbone of me as the individual. And then also the through line of my businesses, my brands, my everything. Because I always feel that how you treat and show up for this this physical and the internal is how you're going to do things in the in the rest of your life, right? You have to have those values, those philosophies, those beliefs, and that comes down to your core. And that was something I had to relearn and rediscover. So there's a lot like very similar between yours and mine. It's like just owning that this isn't the end all be all. And and physically speaking we're aging, right? We're getting older. Things are breaking down. They don't look the way they used to. And, and it's just a natural progression of life. And that was something I had to really embrace and understand because, you know, when you're in your twenties or even early thirties at this point, it was just all about aesthetic, looking a certain way. We all have, I mean, we talk about role models and, and women out there and I'm starting to see a trend where it's like, very much. I mean, the same trend that was happening for me like 20 years ago is now happening here. It's like 
media puts out what is considered worthy, beautiful, acceptable. And now these young girls are looking at that in, a, in the same limelight that I had to, but mine were on magazines and on TVs and not social media plastered around everywhere. So it's just a different, it's, you know, the same, but different, different time. And that's something that I think that young girls listening to this, you know, I want to instill in them that the journey to self-love is yours to discover. It's not something that's an attainable, like I said, like a, like a carrot or chasing the version of what is perfection, right? We don't know what these um, women out there that are considered worthy and beautiful, whether you want to say like a Kardashian or whoever else out there, that was modified. It's like man-made and we're not. So we have to have this relationship with us and accept who we are and be okay with that. And that's kind of my take on it because I struggled with that for literally the bulk of my life. And I was chasing something that wasn't even real. And that was the unattainable carrot of perfection because I thought that my worth was determined by, again, how I looked. And if it was enough, therefore, I would be enough. And that was where I deemed my value of worth from an outside perspective. And it was a warped sense of, uh, of self. Yeah, so it sounds like you had like a very, very, very severe case of what I call like objectification, self-objectification. Mm-hmm. Like, it's interesting when you said this body that is no longer mine. Did you mean like someone took your body away from you when, when you were abused or when you were damaged? You felt like this isn't actually my body. This body belongs to those people. Is that what you mean? Or? I want to say that it, that it felt like it belonged to somebody else. It was just not the body that I would have chosen for myself at that point because I didn't have control of it. And so it's kind of like, you know, I think that's interesting because I think that nobody would choose the body that they have. Well, I think it's also kind of like, say you, for, for the sake of analogies, and we've been talking about cars, say you find the car <laughs> and you're like, I love this car. And then you take it into, you know, get it serviced or whatever. And it comes back all dented, dinged and scratched. And you're like, but that's not how I came to you. That's not what I live in. Like, that's not the thing. Right. And so when it's coming back to you in a different format, there's just disconnect, like, an unhappiness, uh, uh, unsatisfaction, kind of all the negative stuff, right? Like maybe you're yelling at the mechanic or the person who handled your car, like who did this to me, right? And so then you become kind of a victim in this this situation where I didn't want to have that, I guess, I don't know the word, like disagreement or something like that with with this body because that wasn't the agreement that I had going into it. Hmm. I don't know if that's making sense. I'm just kind of thinking about that on a fly because you're asking me a question that I guess I hadn't really thought about from that perspective. Yeah. So what you're talking about, I think, is something like you're talking with a lot of ease about something that I think not everybody has the same sort of ease as is is a relationship with the body. Mm -hmm. Like at least you're talking about having a relationship with it. Mm -hmm. Like you had a relationship with it and then some things happened to it and you're like, who dinged up my car? That's not, not how I took it into the shop, right? <laughs> yeah, so, so then you have to create a new relationship with this dinged up version of yourself, of your body. Mm-hmm. But, but still what I'm hearing through this whole narrative is that there is a relationship and that you're yeah. actually pretty active in that relationship. Very much. Yeah. Very active in it. And I feel like a lot of people with body dysmorphia, which I think, I, I just want to say, I feel like we all have body dysmorphia. I feel like, 
and I'm not, this isn't to diminish like clinical body dysmorphia, but I think that most people look in the mirror and are like, really? That's me? You know? Okay. But I think there is like a dissociation or a, or sometimes a management of the body is an objectification, which is this outside in thing. Mm-hmm. Right. So the outside in is a form of dis, dis, dysmorphia and, and objectification. But it sounds like even like, and this is interesting, we're talking about experience and perception and existential stuff is like you were, you were having a very heightened experience of inside out and outside in like simultaneously. Right. Right. And there was this, this, it felt like a constant uh, struggle and there was no, no satisfying the beast kind of thing because it's like they were going head to head all the time. And it's like, how can I find this peace? And that's when we talk about like, you know, always on the go, like I'm over here trying to fix it, resolve it, perfect it, whatever. And this thing's over here. Like the body's just kind of like, well, just tell us what to do. Cause we're just responding. We don't know. And so there was a big disconnect. And so even from the warp perception, I didn't have that like body's morphia is a warp perception of reality. Like you assume that you look bigger, you're, you know, from the body that you're in. I never really looked at myself from the petite size I always saw myself much magnified because maybe that could have been my internal focus on what was done to me versus this this story now is saying what was done for me and so looking at it now to switch things up and it's like now I look at my past and yeah I mean there's still some like you know there's scars right because we're always healing it's not like it never happened but I look back at my former self and that's why I say like, I feel sad for her for not knowing, but yet she did the best she can with what she knew then. And now coming back full circle, I have such, such compassion and empathy for my former self. And I, I want to take her by the hand and meet her into safety and security and letting her know to build that self-trust and that confidence that lies within and, and regain that so that she can come out of this, this mess per se stronger, better, more aware, uh, the wisdom, the insight, the lessons, the experiences, all that stuff. And now I look back and be like, I'm grateful, like beyond grateful for all that has happened. Ups, downs, highs, lows, all that stuff, because I wouldn't be where I am today. Yeah. So it's uh, definitely been a journey and it's ongoing. And it's, you know, 20 years, I'll have a different story. I'll have a different version and a different relationship. And you know, I think just ongoing and it's about finding that peace and contentment with where you are today. And I think um, that's, that's been a struggle prior. And now I'm at a place where I can wholeheartedly say I'm very content. Like that's kind of, it's not the happiness. It's about being content. And that's what I feel today. Congratulations. (laughs) Yeah. Great work. Sure, your clients yeah. are great and your students are really rewarded by your work with them. Yeah, I, I think so. And then, I mean, I'm curious to know about yours too. Like, where do you stand on that part? Because like you're saying how there's kind of, you see yourself different than how it is. So how does that worked out for you in terms of like that journey, I guess? Like, I know that you said accepting, okay, well, maybe it's, it's, it's not about the weight loss or the weight gain. It's about just accepting like where you're at, that healing aspect that your friend kind of shone light on? I think that self-acceptance is very difficult. 
And I just want to like frame it as so that the people who are like, but I don't want to accept my love handles, but it's fine. You know, like, like you don't have to, you don't have to like pretend that you accept certain parts of you about yourself that you don't. I think more, it's just to stop pretending that it's one way or the other way. And that really, that's again, why it was like, it's, it's, we, we get stuck. This is part of the foibles of the human species is we like, we really like clarity. <laughs> we like clarity. Should I do this or that? And it's like, well, yes, you know, <laughs> like the, staying in this place of not accepting and accepting, not accepting is really where it is. And I think the sooner that young people could be taught that, the better. Now, I don't know if you can teach a 14-year-old anything. I don't know if you can teach a 17-year-old anything. Right? So I'm just acknowledging the realities of teenagers. I don't have any teenagers myself, but I have plenty of students and clients who have teenagers and they're just like throwing their hands up in the air, you know? And it's not even that even if they model the good behavior, that the behavior will actually have any impact. Who knows? Every person is on their own journey. And that's really it. I think really, it's just like, everybody's on their own journey. You can listen to my journey. You can listen to Rachel's journey. And maybe there's something in here that resonates. And maybe you're like, those ladies are talking about something I really don't understand. And that's okay. You're on your own journey, right? But I think what I'm trying to teach people always to do is just to prioritize your experience. Just prioritize your experience. and not judging your own experience mm -hmm. and judging runs both ways praise is a form of judgment criticism is a form of judgment they're both judgment so it should be like oh i'm having an uncomfortable time accepting my body as it is today cool wow that's amazing like that's an amazing degree of awareness, communication, and vulnerability, right? So say those words out loud. Am I comfortable with my body? Hell no. <laughs> Which might seem like a very weird thing to hear out of the mouth of the, self, the body image expert. But I think that that is the honest truth. That is the honest truth. You might feel great about yourself in a moment or maybe in a day or maybe in a week. But if you try to hold that as a permanent state of being, you will fail. Yeah. And so you, and that's actually perfectionism talking, right? Is like perfectionism asks you to get to your weight and then hold it forever. Right. And it's just not possible. It's just not possible. So so the reality is, is that you're going to like feel good on some days and you're not going to feel good on other days. And the sooner you can get with the program of that being normal, the easier this whole thing is going to be. Right. And I think, you know, the desire to play with your body, like maybe to pierce it or to tattoo it or to dye your hair or to, you know, get filler. Or have an explant if you got, you know, boob implants. I think that those should be viewed of as explorations. Explorations, not outcome oriented, but like explorations. 
Because the truth of the matter is that there's a lot of people who do want to lose weight. And the problem that I've run into with the body acceptance movement is that it completely tells you that if you want to do that, that's wrong. And it's like, ooh, I don't want to get involved in those sorts of binaries. And we've just re replicated a different set of binaries now. It's like, so the only person who can decide whether to you know, bulk up or slim down or whatever, whether it's right or wrong binaries is the person who is having the experience. Exactly. Exactly. And that's something that, you know, I I've seen in the fitness space because when I first started in, in this kind of space, I was in uh, health and fitness coaching as well. And you see it glamorized and glory glorified that, Oh, you're on a diet. Okay, great. You lost weight. How, how look, you look amazing. You're this. And so keeping that praise here in it from an external is like, oh, then I'm on the right track. But if I do anything other than that, then I will be, you know, rejected or dissed or whatever that is. And then on the, on the other side, it's like, if you gained weight, what's wrong with you? Oh, she must be depressed or she must. And it's like, well, why does it have to be something? Why can't it just be? Why can't you just be? Mm -hmm. And, and that was something like, I always ask my clients, this is way back when I did fitness coaching and I don't ask them, I'm like, well, first of all, when they come into my space, I ask, why are you here? Because I want to know that there's a compelling reason why somebody wants to gain, maintain or lose. There's a reason behind that. But when they're coming for the wrong reasons, and I say that wrong is like, because I, you know, I want to look like X, Y, and Z. It's like, mm, no, we need to discover what is really happening. And that's kind of what differentiated the the idea seeing it from others oh they're on a different journey as well and how do we keep them on that path that they've chosen to be on versus veering far left to jump on the next trend or whatever is happening because like i said i was that girl and i realized how much i was jumping on all these different things thinking i had to look that way or do that way or color my hair or do this or do that just to look like the next best thing that was considered glorified, glamorous, accepted, worthy, pretty. And I was like, I just want that. So whatever extreme I have to take to get there, I want that route. And it was not the right path. And that's looking for quick fixes to lifelong struggles internally, that that's where you have to address first. Can't keep running from one thing to the next. Mm -hmm. So that was just something, you know, and, and that's why I say like, you know, living in this moment of just being content. I'm I'm content with today i'm content tomorrow might be a different story and that's 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 the the transition but being okay that there's ebbs and flows and that as you're ebbing and flowing through life it's not extremes and that's just kind of riding that wave and that's where i've really found just myself in that because yeah there's moments i'll walk i'll walk into a room like damn i look good two seconds later walk out and look what the f like <laughs> oh, I got to work on that. I got to fix it. And, and my mind will go there. But I've trained my mind to really reel it in a lot quicker, but I don't negate it and say, well, you can't feel it. Don't believe that because it felt something. It really did. And I honor and respect that. But then I talk to myself in that sense, like, listen, and I kind of give myself this pep talk. And yeah, fleeting moments of disgust, fleeting moments of, of love and acceptance. And they come in between. And that's kind of where I've just found this even keel of acceptance for this very moment. I found that the more that I focus on how it feels, 
the, the easier that is. Mm-hmm. Tr- truth be told, it has been a while since I've seen a photo of myself or looked in the mirror and been like, yeah, you look good. It's been a long time since I've felt that pretty authentically. And it may just be that we all like, you know, turned into hobbits during, you know, a pandemic. But I, but it, it is interesting. I think that it does have to do with, actually, I think it does have to do a lot with just like this constant screen time and like, you know, a lot of it. But what I have discovered is the more that I focus on how the body feels and the experiences that the body has, that there's an entire, there's like an infinitely more rich world that is more satisfying to me personally there than what is it all like. Right. Yeah. So and that, that, that's, that's a little hack I have personally, because we're also, as we're aging, rewriting the rules and rewriting the script for what is attractive as we age. Like mm-hmm. our generation, I'm assuming we're maybe in the same generation our generation is really like doing it now, right? So we're really like on the vanguard of things that I think are quite confronting. And I don't personally want to age and hold on to trappings of youth as signs of quote unquote aging graceful. That's not how I want to do it. So I understand that when I look and I'm like, like not feeling great about this today, that it's in part because I am entering into a terrain that is that is not historically been viewed as beautiful. Yeah. And all of my programming is like really pushing. It's really getting pushed. So anyway, one of my hacks is how does it feel? Let's stay there. I love that. And I'm sure that you have a ton more hacks that you work with your clients on, right? And so how how can how can our listeners carry on this conversation with you and, and discover more about you and ways to really get into your space? Because being in that space and 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 bringing that awareness is just it's life changing. And and I know that you take those deep dives in with your clients through your work. How can people learn more about you if you want to share how, where to find you, how to connect with you, how to come into your space? Yeah, well, if you really want me to bother you, you should get on my mailing list. If you if you're like, I want this lady to bother me, get on my mailing list at my website, which is www.ericamather.com. It's a very vanilla spelling. It's E-R-I-C-A-M-A-T-H-E-R.com. And then if you, you know, want to be entertained from a distance, then you should go look at my social media on Instagram is mostly where I am. And if you'd like to have, you know, an approach retreat relationship with me, <laughs> then you should buy my book because I will, I will be there whenever you want me to be there. And I won't be there whenever you stop reading the book. So it's like, how close do you want to be? How in my face do you want me to be with you? So yeah, my book is called Your Body, Your Best Friend. End the confidence crushing pursuit of unrealistic beauty standards and embrace your true power. And if you like kind of this very, I would call it like a toggling back and forth between metaphysics and practicalities. It's like partially medical, partially mystical. If you like that sort of nature of the conversation, the book is very much, very much about that. And and the title is quite literal. It's like, how are you going to be best friends with your body? 
how are you going to end the confidence crushing pursuit of unrealistic beauty standards? Because that's partially on you. And how are you going to embrace your true power? Because I feel like when we align or create an alliance with our bodies, that it makes us more powerful. Mm, Well said. And I cannot agree any more on that because that's exactly, you know, for two different women, two different lives, two different experiences, but yet the core outcome was the same because my journey led me to that as well. And same with yours. And it's like, once we get through kind of our messy middle and just owning that, oh my gosh, there's so much power. As you said, like, that's something that somebody can't take away at this point. And, and I think when we, you know, from speaking to my perspective and my experience, when I was young, I felt powerless and the older you get. And that's one of the great things about aging is wisdom and insight and experience. Right. So we can't discount that, but owning all that and, and realizing how freeing it is to really have that loving relationship with self that can carry you forward into this life that we have. So thank you so much for this incredible deep dive conversation because I really enjoyed it. And it me made, you had a lot of questions that gave me pause. And I was like, you know, what? I hadn't really looked at it that way, but it, it encouraged me on the fly to explore. So those listening, I didn't have any rehearsal on this. I was just kind of like, oh, so I appreciate that because I love those challenges that are those questions that really challenge you to dive deep and look through semi different portal of your lens. and. And that's what we just did here today. So thank you so much for this candid, raw conversation, which is what, you know, the confident woman is about keeping it real, raw and relatable. So of course, we're going to include everything in the show notes and be sure to check out Erica, read her book, connect with her, because this is literally life changing. And I can't vouch for that any further than this. So it's incredible. So thank you, Erica. Thank you for hosting me, Rachel. I appreciate it. Thank you. Hey there, thank you so much for joining me on today's episode of the Confident Woman Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode as much as I did, please be sure to like, subscribe, and leave us a review. Thanks again for listening.